As I had told you uh, leading up to this week that I'm going to be taking one more week break from our foundation series where we're studying uh, what we really believe and we're going to follow that up with a study of our statement of faith and practice here before long. But I want to take one more uh, Sunday break a bit on that and uh, do what I've has sort of become a tradition. And when I started doing this, by the way, I did not... Um, I did not intend for it to become a tradition. It was not really my intention that every year I'm going to sort of, sometimes I wish I wouldn't have started it because it puts some pressure on it sometimes to kind of feel like I have to come up with some kind of thing for everyone to look at. But it really was born out of, uh, for me personally, uh, what the Lord was bringing to me. And I just felt this, this strong urge or sense, this was a number of years ago, six, seven years ago, this strong urge or sense to, uh, to, uh, to share that with the congregation. And, I, and as the Lord would have it, you know, God just works these ways, that there was this, just this incredible sense of, of, of people wanting to join that. And, and then I did it the next year, and then people began to ask and, and say, hey, what's it going to be? And how's, what can I, what can I, so I, I, I said, well, we'll just keep doing it. And, but I want you to know, I, as much as I can, I still for me, it's a function of me personally spending time with the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you have for me? And, and I have to, and I, just, I, I put this out there to say, I'm, it's going to come across probably as I'm sharing it. It's for me, but I want all of you all to get excited about it. And to be quite honest, if you don't, that's okay. Uh, if it's not where the Lord has you and if he has something else that he wants you to, to look at this year or some other great theme of your, uh, of your year that you, he wants, I don't whatever. Or if you don't even like thinking like that. Some people I talk to and they're like, I don't, I, I don't like New Year's themes and stuff like that. It's, it's garbage. I just live my life every day faithfully. And I'm, that's great because that's actually how it should be as well. But since I have sort of started doing this, I, I think it's, a, it's uh, you know, honestly, it, it's kind of a, if I can be selfish about this, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of holding me to the things that, I, that the Lord is talking to me about. Because it's, as you all know, it's one thing when you're sitting here on a Sunday morning and you maybe hear something that's really convinc- convicting and you say to yourself, oh, I really need to pay attention to that. That's really got to change in my life. But you all know what happens when you walk out of here and you don't tell anybody that or you don't share that with anybody. What, what happens with that often? <clears throat> kind of like what, the reason why many of us don't like New Year's resolutions, Right? What happens? In one week or two weeks from now or three weeks from now, eh, kind of drifted off in the netherworld and real life is taken over again. So for me, it really is a function of when I feel like the Lord is, is bringing this in my life that I get to just talk about it in front of you all and that kind of holds my feet to the fire, so to speak. Or I have to remind myself, hey, all of you now know, after today, all of you now know what God said I need to focus on this next year, which means all of you have the ability, whether you'll take advantage of it or not, all of you have the ability to every mo- moment or every part of next year you see me, you can say, hey, have you been faithful to what God is asking you to do? How is it, how is it, how is it going in your life? How, how, have, you, have you grown in this area that you were talking about? And of course, being a pastor, I'm going to tell you, I think it's a pretty good idea for you to be willing to focus on some of the same things. This past year, by the way, was uh, the theme of availability. And I, I was just, I've been so, can I maybe take a moment of, and just, I've been so grateful, so thankful for I have seen, from my perspective, I have seen tremendous growth, if I can put it that way, in, in an awareness of, from all of you, of being available and a desire to be available to God. To make yourself available. I, I know, I can think of at least three people I know of in the next week or month, uh, months that are, that, are, that are leaving someplace on some kind of trip. 
And I think, maybe not totally, I, I can't take all the credit for it, and I, I, won't, I won't, it's not me anyway, but even the, the series, the theme can't take all the credit for it necessarily, but I think in some, res- some respect due to the, this idea that I want to make myself available to God, and it doesn't just mean going places, I think overall just in our lives, I hope, I've seen reflections of that, I've, I've picked up conversations of people say, I, I'm more aware that God wants to use me in every part of my life every day, day in, day out, that I want to be available to share the gospel with somebody or to, to just plug my testimony or just be able to help somebody who hasn't been, been who needs, it was in need of help of some kind. So you already see the screen. So this year, uh, I, I was kind of lo- going back through some things that we've, we focused on and we've had these, you know, these great themes available. We've had these themes of, of, you know, being pure in heart. We've had these themes. One year, the theme was living for the glory of God. And I don't know if you remember anything about those themes or not, but we talked about how it's important for us to hear from God and to submit to what he has to say and to obey. Not just submit and yield and say, you're right, God, but to actually walk that out. And, and some great things. But for me personally, I felt like it's just a great need. There's all these things I could be doing. This year has been great for me, by the way. If I can just say this too. It's been great for me. Glenn has come on board. He's, he's really, I've just, it's just such a, such a, relief on my part of, of him coming in and helping uh, do some things in the ministry. But that makes me realize there's all kinds of things that, as I've had some freedom in my schedule, all kinds of things I could put in there, right? And it, it, I've just been this building sense over the last, this, this fall, as I've been just spending time with the Lord. And this didn't all completely crystallize till you know, the last couple of weeks, actually. But there's this growing sense of, of really trying to say, what's most important? What, what's the most important thing? And as I began to realize that God was doing that in me, I began to realize that's the theme he was pushing me towards, is that I need to find some way to go back, to, this is what I call it, go back to the basics. I can tell you that for me, this next year, I want to, at the direction of the Lord, I want to make a major emphasis that in my own life, I go back to the basics of walking with him. There's all kinds of things that come out of following God. I hope you know that. There's all kinds of commands, as it were. There's all kinds of things to do. There's all kinds of ministries. There's all kinds of ways to be involved. There's all kinds of things. And it's not about not doing any of those things. It's about making sure for me that I have the basic things down, pat, down first. That the most important things are happening. Or maybe I should put it this way. That the most important reason for why I'm doing those things is true. That I'm not just doing ministry. And I'm your pastor talking about, this is my full-time job. I have this incredible opportunity to give my full-time job to ministry. But to make sure, believe it or not, it's just as likely for me to cruise through life on cruise control as it is for any of you. To, not, to make sure that I'm not just going through and ministering and doing the things of ministry just because it's what I do. Back to the basics. Now, today, I'm going to paint with a really big brush, meaning uh, as hard as it is for me to do this kind of stuff, meaning I, I, there's not a lot of teaching involved as to what we're going to talk about. Lord willing, we're going to have messages down the road this year that are going to dig into some of these areas we're going to expose today. But for me, it's about a big brush painting of the need in my life to focus on some very specific things that lead me to say, I'm back to what really matters in following God. It turns out that when Jesus walked on the earth, that the leaders of the church in that day had a similar kind of question. What's most important? What really matters? 
all these things we have, all these commands to follow, all this ministry, as it were, all this stuff I can do, what's the most important thing for me to do? Now, I'm going to read this morning. There's a couple of places I could read it from, it from it, but for me, I love when I get opportunities to reinforce what our children are learning and quizzing. And so I'm going to read from it in Mark because it does happen in Mark. So if you open your Bibles, again, big brush today, so lots of scripture reading and just kind of presenting to us why I'm talking about this theme of being back, going back to the basics. In Mark chapter 12, if you'd open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, this is what I read, want to read this account from. It says in verse 28 of Mark chapter 12 that one of the scribes came up and he heard them disputing. The them is Jesus and the leaders of the church, the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees, all the groups, the leaders of the church. And one of the scribes came up and he heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them, Jesus, he answered them well, he asked him, he asked Jesus this question, which commandment is the most important of all? This is what it feels like to me as I'm ending this year, as I'm focusing all this stuff, and to be honest, as I'm thinking of things that are happening in the church. You know, that is part of the ministry. Part of the job that I have is trying to, to manage what's, I mean, to, to, to help people to see what's going on and manage the stuff that's going on. And, and for me, it, it felt like this continually, not just for me personally, but for us as a church, like what's the most important commandment? We can get caught up in all kinds of things. Should we do this? Should we do it this way? Well, this is really important. Well, we have to make sure we're doing this. And I'm not saying none of those things are important. In fact, I think they are important. But I felt myself coming back and saying, God, what's most important? What matters more than anything? And Jesus answered in verse 29, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him, and to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is coming from the mouth of the scribe. Jesus, you were correct in what you said. All those, knowing that God is one and loving him and loving others, those, that's much more than all the burnt offerings, all the sacrifices I could make. And Jesus, it says in verse 34, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, there's a lot of things that could be taught from that text. I told you I'm not going to try to teach the text. I'm not going to try to teach much of anything today necessarily other than uh, just uh, expose to you why I'm focusing on this theme and why we're doing this. But I think it's important to go back because he says, what's the most important? And Jesus says, I will answer that. So when Jesus says this is the most important, that there's no greater command than these, then we should pay attention. It actually comes in three parts. I'll just put all three parts up here. We're going to kind of walk through it. He says, first of all, that the most important is, and he says, first of all, you should hear, you should know, you should understand that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, there's several ways to take that statement, by the way, not just in this text, but in some of the next texts we're going to get to, that that word one presents sort of a multifold meaning as we look at it. It does mean one in the sense of unity, that God is one. He's united. As you think of, uh, for us particularly, we think of God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son, that he's one. But also, that word is actually protos, which means it's the first. He is preeminent, if you want to use the word that way. 
Hear, O Israel, hear, O people of Riverview, hear, Merlin, that the Lord our God is first. He is preeminent. There's no one else like him. Now, first can mean something else, right, too. Not just preeminent, but first in order, first, second, third, fourth. God is most important. There's all, that, that word has, is multifaceted. It has lots of things that come out of it. The Lord our God, he is one. And he keeps on talking about that. He says, in fact, if I can tell you what's most important, the most important commandment is that knowing that he is one, that he's first, that he's preeminent, that you should love him. You should love him. And he says, I want to make sure you know what kind of love I'm talking about. Not just love like I love french fries, or I love when my favorite team wins, or I love when my family spends time together. Those are all things that I love. I don't love french fries that much. That was just the first thing that came to mind. But, but you should love God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. In other words, what? With everything, with your whole being, with every part of you. Now, I don't know how often you've had, you know, we, th these words are really familiar. And you might be thinking, oh, yeah, here's another New Year's message on this. You may have even heard a message similar to this. I have no idea. We know these words, right? But have you ever actually stopped to think for a moment seriously, putting everything else aside in your head? I would encourage you to do that this week, by the way. Put everything else aside. Get rid of all of the clutter, no other noise, nothing else, and say, what does it really mean to love God with every fiber of my being, every facet that I have, every capacity that I have, every function that I have, that I love God that much with my heart, with my soul, this very central thing that causes, that, that makes me who I am, with my mind, with my strength, my body, Every part of me, this is what we should hold in the most highest, to love God with all of that. And the second is, and he goes on and adds the second one to it, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Lots of things that are running through my head that we have to get, that want to come out or should come out in some form or fashion. Let me just say at this moment, let's make sure we keep this in the right order. Love God, love your neighbor. We have at, other, at times focused on loving our neighbors, and I think that's correct. But if it's in the absence of loving God, I would tell you it's just being a nice person. We have at times focused on loving God and forgotten the other part of it and thought for some reason that we could work on loving God and it doesn't mean anything. We're going to find as we go through the discussion this morning and probably every message we talk about this is that there's this curious thing that happens. We can love God and there's a few practical things that come out of loving God. I just want to be clear about that. But a lot of the practical side of all this is really actually what comes out as we interact with each other. Our relationship this way must have an effect on our relationships this way. Has to work that way. Now, 
Jesus didn't just say these things in a vacuum, right? He didn't just come up with this stuff and as they asked him that great question, he said, oh, let me put together a good, a good answer, some, some deep thing you've no one's ever said before and give you the great answer because I'm the son of God. He didn't do that, right? In fact, if you recognize things, he was quoting things. He was going back to what they had already heard generations and generations before and knew that God had already said to them. Primarily, let me just read them for you. If you want to f- try to follow along, you can. It's not, not, I mean, I didn't give you a handout today, so I don't, uh, you don't have the references. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as Moses is speaking to his people and as he's giving them commands, he begins with this. In fact, the very same words that Jesus just said. He said, hear, therefore, or Israel, I'm sorry, he's telling me to be careful. I, that's in verse 3, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Remember last week? When I gave my Christmas message and I said Jesus was sent and I reached back into Deuteronomy and said that that God had said through Moses that he's going to send someone in in the likeness of Moses to come, the prophet that they shall listen to. If they don't listen to him, that they'll pay for it, that, that, that they'll be judged because they don't listen to him. He's talking about Jesus. Here Jesus, in fact, quotes the very words of Moses that all the people of Israel would have known that Moses said. As he begins a discussion on how to follow God and what commands to obey... He begins by saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He is first. He's most important. He's preeminent. He's unified. And you shall love him with all that you have. Now, the second part of that is a bit more nebulous, but it has also been talked about. In fact, it has actually been talked about before Moses said those words specifically that Jesus just quoted. If you would go to the book of Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 19, when God first delivers the people of Israel and he leads them out and he's giving them all the commands for how to live. Now bear with me. It's a little longer section of text to read, but I think it's, it'll do us good because it, it puts flesh to what we're talking about. And that's good for us. We need flesh. We need, we need grit. We need actual ap- application. We need, we, need, we need to know how to take the words that we're reading and that are coming in our heads and how they actually work themselves out. So the second part of Jesus, what he said, the first is to love God. The second is to love your neighbor. Let's read in Leviticus chapter 19, starting in verse 9. In this, God is giving commandments to his people on how to interact with each other. Now, some of these aren't directly applicable because we uh, we're not farmers, most of us. But I think we can get some, a few ideas. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. For you shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Notice how all of those things, by the way, stealing, dealing falsely, lying, bearing false witness, swearing by his name falsely, all of those things profane the name of God. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Did you notice that every point where God is reminding them how to interact with each other? The basis for it is always on who he is. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. That's both sides of the divide that we like to play. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, 
but, and here it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Lots and lots of commands on how to deal with each other, right? But Jesus summed up for He said, listen, if you want the greatest commandment, here it is. You should know that God is first and most important, and you should love him with all that you have. And then you should love others just like you love yourself. Now, by the way, even those two sections I read to you are not original, are they? For you could go back to Exodus when God really, the very first moments he brought them out of Egypt, and he gave them these things that we call the Ten Commandments. You can read them in Exodus chapter 20, first 17 verses. And God said much of those same things. In fact, in some way, you can see that the first four commandments, I believe it is, are summarized by loving God with all that you have, and the last six are summarized by loving your neighbor as yourself. Go back and read Exodus chapter 20. Not going to take time to do it this morning because we have bigger problems. We have bigger things we need to deal with. For we have lots of scripture between what I read this morning and what I just read just now. Lots of pages, and those pages are about humans, and those humans are just like us. Though they had heard those same things that we're hearing this morning, though they had heard that you should love God with everything you have, that he's first and most important in your life, and that you should love others, you should deal with them, you should not lie, you should not cheat them, you should be kind to them, you should not withhold wages from them, you should not slander them, you should not uh, take advantage of them, either the small or the great, you should, not, you should not try to get favor with the great so that you get favor, you should not look down on the poor because they have nothing, you should leave some stuff, you should be kind, you should be compassionate, all those things, you should not take vengeance, you should get angry people, you should treat them fairly, you should treat them like you'd like to be treated, in fact. All of those things. And yet, we have passages. Let me read this to you. This is from the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea is one of the people we call a minor prophet. I'm sorry. I think I gave you the wrong reference there. Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. O children of Israel, although I'm not into replacement theology, if you know what that is, I will tell you that when we read the Old Testament in church on Sunday mornings, and I read, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, I mean to say that we should pay attention as if these words were spoken to us. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. God has a controversy there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They shall break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. This doesn't sound good, right? This sounds very bad, in fact. God says, I have a controversy. I don't think we want to be in a controversy with God, by the way. I don't think we want to be in a place where God comes to us and says, I have a controversy. I have a bone to pick with you. He says there's no faithfulness. There's no steadfast love. There's no knowledge of God. And when I say this word knowledge, we're going to bump into it several times over the next couple of verses here. It means not just to know about up here. It means to know, to be acquainted with, to be intimate with. It's the same word, if I can use this this morning for you. It's the same word when we read that Adam knew Eve and conceived Cain. It means to become intimately familiar with. There's no faithfulness, no steadfast love. There's no knowledge of God in the land. 
only instead we find swearing and lying and murder and stealing and committing adultery and breaking every boundary that ever existed and bloodshed follows bloodshed and not just the people are in anger in anguish but the land itself is in anguish including the animals does that sound like a picture of today for us lest we do what we so often do and we so quickly jump on the bandwagon and point all the fingers out there and talk about how wicked everyone else is out there. Look at verse four. Yet let no one contend and let no one accuse for with you is my contention, O priest. And lest you so quickly say, well, I'm not a priest. I would remind you of a few weeks ago we did a series on the foundations of what we believe about the church and about the people of God, and I believe we referred to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which says that we are a what? A kingdom of priests. You, as a follower of Jesus, are part of that priesthood. It's one of the hallmarks, by the way, of our Anabaptist faith. It's called the priesthood of all believers. That we don't believe that there are specific people with certain specific positions that make them priests in front of everyone and that everyone has to go through them to get to God. But we believe and teach that the Bible says that every one of you has direct access to God, which is true, which is a wonderful thing. It also means you and I are part of this verse because you have direct access to what God says and you have his spirit in you. Let no one contend, let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, and the prophet also shall stumble with you by night. I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. You notice that when God gets upset, when he has a controversy, when he has a problem with things, how they're going, he doesn't talk to the world, the unbelievers, and say, you guys are messing it up. He talks to the church and says, there's a problem here. I suggest you, by the way, Jesus did the exact same thing when he was walking on earth. He didn't go to the unbelievers and say, you guys are causing all these problems. In fact, they got mad at him because he went and ate with them. But he did go to the leaders of the church and say, we have big problems. You have big problems. And since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I also will forget your children. Can I just say that if you're a dad here this morning, if you're a father here this morning, those words, maybe they don't do anything to you, but they strike me to the core. God has plainly told us in his word through Hosea that if we will forget the ways of God, he will forget our children. I don't want that. I don't want God to ever forget my children. I want my children to know God. These verses may focus to some degree on loving God. There's no knowledge of him. They don't know him. They don't know his ways. They don't, they don't, they're not acquainted with him. These next verses from Zechariah chapter 7 Focus more on the second part of what I've been talking about, or the third part of the command that, that Jesus said is the great command, is the greatest command. 
In Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8, it says, The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, and he said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused, verse 11, but they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. You see, what began as a lack of love for God resulted in, as you kept on going, now we traveled some time down for the Israelites, resulted in them also then reflecting that in their relationship with each other. And they began to take advantage of each other and not care about the widows or the poor or anybody that was in their land, the sojourners. Even though they were told they should. Even though they were told not just at the beginning, but over and over again they should. But they instead chose to stop up their ears. They instead chose to make their hearts. And this phrase again, it just grabs me. It doesn't just say that they hardened their hearts. Look what it says. They made their hearts Diamond hard. Impenetrable to the word of God. Can I say to us this morning, remember this is a message that is for me and you get to take part in it. Can I say to us this morning, these problems are not unique to Old Testament Israel people. We are not exempt. I am not exempt from them today. That same process will follow in my own life when there's no knowledge of God, no faithfulness, no steadfast love, when there's no loving God with all that I have, then it begins to bleed out as I treat people as they ought not to be treated. As I begin to think things about people as I ought not to think about them. And my heart becomes hardened, and I, I do not want it to be to the place where it is said of me that my heart became diamond hard against the words of God. Let me keep moving, because I want to move in the New Testament, words written after Jesus came, and the exhortation that came. But the exhortations are no different. The themes are no different. For example, we can look at the New Testament writer James, and James writes these words. And these words, again, they give, they give grit. They give rubber meets the road kind of stuff. What good is it, my brothers, he writes in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? 
when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is not the time or place to go into a long description of how James is not arguing with Paul. He's not against what Paul is saying. He's fully in agreement with Paul. James is simply making the point. You say you believe in God. You say you love him. It should have results. You should be able to see that. You can't claim that you love God. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not shown on the outside. You can't say that. Faith without works is dead. And he points to Old Testament scriptures. and He says, it's clear. Abraham believed God. But his belief was so much different because his belief turned into action to where he took his son, the greatest action possible, I would say. One of the great, I couldn't imagine, I can't, I can imagine doing that, just to be very honest with you. He took his son and he laid him on the altar and was going to kill him because God asked him to. Or we could go to John. The Apostle John, not the Gospel of John, but the, I mean, not written in the Gospel of John, but in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, he says this. Again, switching a focus from our loving God, believing in him, having faith in him, and recognizing that has something to do with how we treat each other. By this we know love. Since these verses, the operative word there is we should love God with all that we have. We should love others as we love ourselves. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for, our, for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's, God's love abide in him? Isn't it so unfortunate when Scripture asks us questions? It's just questions that always drive right to the point, right? Leave us no wiggle room. <laughs> If anyone has the world's goods, I would suggest that's probably every one of us. And he sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I hope what I've given to you this morning is a clear scriptural emphasis that one of the most fundamental and one of the most basic requirements, if you will, of following God is putting him first, is loving him with all that you have and loving others. Having that do something inside of you that changes how you behave and how you act with people around you. Having done so, I'd like to take just a few moments, make a few comments about some things, and then share what I think are some specific areas that, for me, require, are required 
uh, that focus is required on to go back to the basics. But let me share first just a few thoughts sort of in, in, in putting some things together before I share these areas. I want to say this. I think it's important to state these things that maybe not, I don't know, I was going to call them caveats or call them ground rules, and I don't know that either of those fit, but let me just say this. This command we're talking about is the first, not the only. Jesus is very clear. This is the most important. But if you look at all the, the things he was quoting from, those places that he was quoting from, they began with this. They didn't end there. There were still more things. And I'm saying this simply to prevent us from doing what we always like to do. We like to excuse ourselves by saying, oh, I'm loving God with everything I have. It doesn't, and I already, maybe I already mentioned this, but it doesn't, it, it means I can do whatever I want to out here. There are other commands of God. There are other things he wants us to follow. That's why we're doing this series of foundations and then the series on the statement of faith and practice because it has to mean something. If I say I believe God about something about God, it has to mean something in my life. It has to show itself in some way. And I can't say, well, I'm focusing on loving God and so nothing else matters. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to pay attention to anybody or I can be unkind to them or I can do whatever I want to my life personally. It doesn't matter because I'm loving God. This is the first command, not the only it's the most important one, not an exhaustive list. It is back to the basics, but everything else flows out of the basics, if I can say it that way. And the second thing I want to say is because so many things that we're going to talk about this morning, perhaps, have already talked about, or as we go through this year and focus on this theme, there's so many things that it tends to become, the, the, the focus becomes on the things that we're doing. Because we do things, right? I just made this great point that, like, you can't say you love God without it, like, coming out in some way. So I, I, I understand that. But I want to make sure we understand that we do those things not to, but because. And I, maybe I should explain that because that's kind of cryptic there. But not to be right with God or not to be saved, but because we are. In other words, when I point out in my own life the things that it means to go back to the basics, like spending more time with the Lord, like reading the Bible and praying with Him, or being in some way being more compassionate towards people around me, or, or whatever it may be, it's going to come out in all kinds of things that are things that I do. And I want to make sure we always come back to, I'm not doing them so that I can become right with God. I'm not doing them so that they become saved or that I'm, that I'm somehow now in a, in a right place. I'm doing them because I am saved, because I'm right with God, because of what Jesus has done, I'm doing these things for him. Not, because, not to, to get happy. You guys make, that makes sense to you, right? But we'll have to continually draw ourselves back to that because that's why we're in this place. That's why for me, I have this theme of back to the basics because it's so easy to skip that part and go to all the things I have to do. And forget that all that comes out of the love I have for God. Do you know that your love for God is the only enduring motivation you will ever have to follow and serve him? There are other motivations. Fear, for example, right? In fact, many of us, I might have said this already in a context like this. Many of us come into the kingdom of God based on the motivation of fear. I'm afraid of going to hell. Therefore, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. There are plenty of other motivations, but the only enduring motivation for following God and serving him is love. It's when I love him more than I love anything else that this world has to offer and more than I love myself. Clearly illustrated with our kids, right? When my kids are little, they obey me. Why? Probably because I'm going to spank them if they don't. You might have to scrub that from what goes online. I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that anymore, but... Fear, right? But as they get older, if they're going to obey me, 
Why will it be that they obey me? Because they're afraid of me spanking them? Because I'm not going to, right? I'm not going to take my teenager over my knee. Why will they obey me then? Why will they do what I asked them to do? You said respect. I would say it's because they love me, because they care about me. The same is true for God. When you first came to know God, if you came because of fear, there's a good chance you obeyed him as perfectly as you could because you were afraid that whenever I mess up, but as you grow in that, that loses its motivation, doesn't it? You suddenly don't care as much about that anymore. You will only continue to serve him because you love him. So I don't want to focus on all the things that I'm going to be doing as a result of this without, and lose my focus on the fact that I'm doing all this because I love him, because I love God more than anything, and I love other people. I really love them. That was a point that Chris made this morning in Sunday school class. You know, we, we're so comforted that God is going to judge his enemies sometimes, but that should give us some urgency because there's lots of people that are going to get punished because they don't know. Do we really, are we okay with them? having to bear the consequences of what Satan has bound them to? Let me share some areas. This is not an exhaustive list. This is for me, some places as I spent time with the Lord and just said, hey, Lord, what are things that for me mean if I want to go back to the basics, if I want to love you with everything I have, and I'm going to try to pay attention to all those parts with my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I'm going to love others. If I'm going to put you first, God, what are some areas that I need to focus on or, or develop in or spend time, uh, areas that I need to spend uh, attention to, pay attention to? One of the first words that came to me in this whole kind of context is this word of devotion. If I'm going to use the word love, I'm going to say I'm going to love God, there's an aspect of devotion that has to come out of that. I have to be devoted to him. That singular, again, that word, the Lord your God, he is one. He is first. He is preeminent. He is priority. Those are words of devotion to me. Is God really first for me? And I want you to know that I'm not necessarily asking that rhetorically to you. As in like, I'm asking it so that you think about it for yourself. Although that's great. I hope you do. And I hope the Holy Spirit helps you answer the question. I'm asking that for myself. Is God really first for me? Am I devoted to him more than anything else? More than the comforts of my life? More than my favorite sports team? More than the passions I follow? More than making sure my kids obey and do what's right? That my family looks good? More than preaching great sermons? Is my highest devotion to God alone? There's a lot of things, by the way, that even may be good things that supersede our devotion to God. I think you've heard me say things like this. In my cultural background, which is for most of you also your cultural background, we are very strong on family, and I think that's a good thing. But I think our family sometimes becomes a God that supersedes where God is supposed to be. Jesus was pretty clear that when his truth comes, when we follow him, that it will bring some division. And he mentions the family unit, fathers to sons and mothers to daughters. I don't like that more than any of the rest of you do. I don't want that. 
when I had to answer what I was grateful for, I, I, in Sunday school, I said, I'm so grateful we had two good family Christmases, and it was just a really good get-together. I, I love being with my family. I love my family so much. But my devotion must be to God first. And I have to sort through that. If I'm going to love God with all my heart and all my soul, there must be devotion there. Perhaps I should just say it this way. Am I devoted to God more than to myself? Because let's be honest, that's really where the rub comes in for most of us. I can throw away all the other things where I think I can until it gets into what I really want. The second piece for me is also very clear because when I talk about love, although we tend to have this torn away and taken the whole word of love over into the emotional realm and then we say, "Ah, that's not what it is, I also want to make sure we know that love is an emotion, right? It's it's a decision of here, but it's also an emotion. It's an emotional thing. We love our families. We love God. What does that feel like when we love God, when God loves us we know that? That's an emotion too, right? And I think that there has to be passion for me to say I love God with all that I have. There has to be a passion there. And quite frankly, sometimes that passion is missing. I'm doing what I do, what I do, what I do, because I know I'm supposed to do it. But I'm not passionate about my relationship with God. If I may be frank with all of you, you can't stop me because I'm standing up here, so sorry about that. I think it's an area many of us can work on. Not being very passionate. Again, we can always go to this stuff that everyone hears. You can slot in whatever you want, but there's a lot of things we get pretty passionate about in our lives, aren't there? We can get pretty fired up about lots of stuff. Politics, sports, weather, being right, winning an argument. There's a lot of things we can get really passionate about. Am I that passionate about my, about my relationship with God, about loving Him? Do I exude that kind of passion? I get to be with God this morning, here maybe, but tomorrow, this morning, with him, or whatever moment, whenever you have your time with, I get to spend time with the creator of the heaven and earth. See what I mean? We're not always very passionate about that, are we? Most of us have a checklist that I gotta need to spend my daily time with God, read one chapter, pray a little bit, then I gotta get to my really important stuff of the day. This is why we're talking about, this is why I'm talking about getting back to the basics. I think when I talk about Jesus and loving him with everything I have, there's a, there's, a, there's a strong theme of purity that must be necessary. There's a purity to my relationship with Jesus. There's an exclusivity. exclusivity. Is, that a, is, that a, is that a word? I must be exclusive with him. Right? I must be pure in my devotion and my passion. My heart must be his alone. My mind must be his alone. I can't think whatever I want to. My mind must be his alone. My soul must be his alone. My strength, my body must be his alone. When I say purity, of course, there's lots of ways we can go with that. And honestly, usually we, 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 devolve, we devolve that word. I should maybe use that word. We, we boil purity down to only in the sexual realm. And that's a huge issue. And that's certainly part of this. But that's not the only thing. When you think of purity, this morning in Sunday school, again, we talk about fire. It either destroys or it purifies. 
we need to be pure before God. Back to the basics, loving him with everything we have, even loving others, there must be a purity. When I think of purity and loving others, I think of Jesus saying, hey, don't do nice things to other people because they can someday maybe do it back to me. That's not purely loving people. That's loving people and being kind to them when I think there's something in it for me. That's not purity. Purity in loving others is saying, I will help that downtrodden person, or I will help this person who needs help, and I expect to never get anything in return. I may not even be noticed that I did it. I may not even be known by anybody. Now, that's not the only way it can come, so don't, I'm not saying that you can only, it only can be right if no one knows about it. Please don't misunderstand me. Now, the last two I shared about were things that, uh, that I want to share about, two areas, are things that they do move for me into the practical realm. Maybe it's not fair that I'm using sort of three nebulous words and there's some very practical words. But for me, when I want to come back to the basics, I think I have to force, force myself to focus on these two areas because this is really where it often comes out. Love it or hate it, money is one of the clearest indicators that we have for where our devotion and our passion is. Might not like that light being turned on me, you might not like that light being turned on you, but if I am going to make any kind of honest or sincere effort at becoming, putting the right thing, putting God first and loving him with all that I have and loving others, I have to take a look at where my money goes. I would start with the basic question. Do you or do I even pay attention to where money goes? Like if I would ask you what parts of your money, I'm not asking for specific percentages. It's not about checking off lists and patting ourselves on the back. But do you have an idea where your money goes? Because the first and best way to not be aware and to not honor God with your money is to not have any clue what's happening to it. Can you tell someone where your money is being spent? And then when you do look at where your money is being spent, can you with a clear conscience say, I'm okay with that? Will it stand the test of saying, here, people of Riverview, the Lord your God is one. He's first. He's preeminent. You should love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than this. The second, for me, gets even more real. Because in many ways, this is actually an even more, for me, it's an even more clear indicator. I actually don't spend most of the money in our house. Believe it or not, I don't mean that as a slight toward Heidi. It's just how we have things arranged in our house. I'm not saying that as a, like, it's by our agreement. It's good, by the way. She's much more fiscally responsible than I am. That's big words for saying I spend a lot more than she would. If, I mean, I would do, that's the way it would be. But for me, it's this. I began to realize as I looked at my days off, I get a day off every week. I began to realize as I looked at those, that a lot of times, this is what I want to do on my day off, is I want to go crawl in a corner with a book and not have anyone talk to me. I'm just being honest with you. But I'm also realizing that I have my days off because God has given them to me to spend with my family, to spend time with my kids and my wife. And when I'm in a corner with a book and saying, don't come bother me, I'm not doing that, am I? And when I realize that when I'm doing that with my time, 
when I'm saying I have to have some me time, I have to have some of my decompression time. And, and that's good. I, I do believe it's good. Uh, to, I mean, it, it's good to have decompression. It's good to have, that's why we have a day of rest. But when I'm selfish with that time, I'm defeating the very purpose for which it was given to me for. Because I'm also not loving God with all I have with my time. Or loving others as myself with my time. Again, this is, this is me being honest with you up front. I have every confidence that the Holy Spirit is fully able to take these things and bring them to home to you. Because I know you must answer the same question. And in fact, you will answer that question someday. What did you do with your time? Did you recognize that God is preeminent? And that you are to love him with every fiber of your being and to love others? And that the way you use your time should reflect that? These are things, these are areas for me that I have to delve into, that I have to dig into. And with the Lord's uh, will, willingness or his permission or his will happening this year, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to spend time for myself and I'm going to spend time over the pulpit here digging into the, some of these areas here. There may be some other ones that God works in. I don't know what he's going to do with all this stuff. But to recognize that if these are things that are necessary to pay attention to, to get back to the basics of putting God first and loving him with all that I have and loving others, then I'm going to spend time with it. Now, often in these kind of settings, I'm, 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 this morning, I, I, maybe I'm saying it too much. I want to be as gut-wrenchingly honest with you as I can. Often at these points of these kind of services, I, I, I build my message to some kind of crescendo, some kind of place, some kind of room for you to respond. And I know one couple of years we had, I invited people to come forward and we had lots of people up here. And I, I, I really appreciate that, by the way. I love that. But I had a real strong sense this morning that for me, I really mean what I say. For me, this message is about being honest with you about what the Lord is saying to me. If you decide to make this the focus of your life, that's great. I would tell you, I think you should tell someone else about that to hold yourself accountable. But I really could, <laughs> I shouldn't say it that way, this is gonna come. I really could care less whether you come forward this morning or whether you're emotional about it or whether you decide this is the greatest thing in the world, I'm, I'm on the bandwagon or whether you say this is not for me. I really don't care. And I'm not saying that to say, negate the message. I'm saying that I have to be in a place where this is the most important thing I have to hear today. And what you do with it is between you and the Lord. God, I want to be so forthright with you that I desperately need your help in being honest to the theme you've brought to me for me. I am so selfish and it is so hard. I, I can pick on things that are easy for me to give away, easy for me to give up, easy for me to do without. But there are things in my own life that come under scrutiny. And it's so easy, God, for me to camp out on those things when I'm up here talking making everyone else feel bad, so to speak. And I, 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 I brush on by. And I don't want that. 
you have helped me or caused me by your spirit and your word this morning, not just this morning, these past number of weeks, to see that I have a great need to be brought back to the basics in my own life, to just refine it all down to say, why am I doing these things? It has to come out of a devotion to you, a passion for you, a purity in my commitment to you, that my money and my time has to reflect has to reflect that I consider you more important than anything else, that I love you more than anything else, that I love you with all that I have, that I love you more than myself, that I love others as I love myself. That those come in a specific order and that I owe you such a huge debt of love because of the great love you've shown to me. And sometimes (laughs) I'd rather just do life And I'm so sorry about that, God. I'm so sorry that you went and demonstrated such a great, great love for me. And I say, yeah, thanks. When I really need it, I'll I'll call on Jesus, but I got most of this under control. I don't want that, God. I want your forgiveness. But more than that, I want your help in changing it. I want to be a good and faithful servant. I'm so grateful for your faithfulness to me and to us. And Lord, we're going to give you all the credit. I want to give you all the credit. I want to give you all the, anything good that came out as you talked with me this morning, talked through me this morning, anything good that came out, God, uh, I love that you do those things. And I am so grateful for these people here in this congregation that are so faithful to me as well and love me and walk alongside and so ready and open to hearing your word week after week. And I ask for your blessing on them. You know where every one of us is in our journeys. And I don't think there's a one here this morning that doesn't say, I want to be a faithful servant. Use us. As you bring us back to the basics, we believe you. As you bring me back to the basics, and as you bring us back to the basics, I believe that you have great things that you want to do through us. But it comes when we're focused on that not the great things. So we want to be true to you, to your word. I love you, God. I love you for sending Jesus. I love you, Jesus, because you did so much for me. You did unbelievably much for me, Jesus. And I love you, Holy Spirit for the way that you have desired to take up residence and live in me and have moved me and have reminded me when I'm wrong so I can be made right, have so gently cared for me. You've exhorted me in such, oh, you've been so gentle to me, far more than I deserve, far more than I deserve. And I love you for that. We exalt you as King Jesus. We pray in your name. 
Amen.